Ronananian. It's not cables and levers and mechanical things anymore. Air conditioning has become such an electronic component and part and parcel of the vehicle that you've got to look at everything. Keep on The Car Doctor. But a good running diesel in that vehicle, if you can afford the swap and do the swap, yeah, believe it or not, I like that probably best of all. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Ania, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. What would a show about how to deal with a dealer look like? Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. The phone number is 855-560-9900, 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. More information about this radio show available at cardoctorshow.com. You'll find all sorts of things there, including an affiliate list via tunein.com, podcast subscription availability at iheart.com and itunes.com. And if you need me during the week, it's ron at cardoctorshow.com. What would a show about... How to deal with a dealer look like? For that matter, what would a show about how to deal with your auto repair shop look like? And would you want to hear that? I'm going to think maybe. Had a very good customer this week. She had to send her son back to the Kia dealer for an oil change because his his day off didn't coordinate with our availability, and she had no choice. He has limited access time for his because of his job. He works all kinds of crazy hours. So he, he went into the Kia dealer to get an oil change. It's an oil change. How bad could they do this incorrectly? How wrong could it be? How much of a beating could the checkbook possibly take? It's a 2014 car. It's only got 29,000 miles on it. What could go wrong? Well, he came out with an oil change. And he came out with an estimate for a 30,000-mile service of about $550. And when Kathy called me up to go over this with me, I said, how can that be? How can we do $550 worth of service to a 2014 car? The car's a year old, and it's got 30,000 miles on it. And let's see. The cabin filter had been done 4,000 miles prior. The tires had just been rotated. They just did the oil change. Those are the three big things on the 30K service. The only thing really left was Kia claims that their coolant, and I I believe this to be true, is non-long life, so you're going to change it every, well, I don't know if you would do it every 30,000 miles. I would test the system. Does the system test good? In Kyle's case, the coolant tested good. So why are we changing it? Because isn't it every two years or 30,000 miles, but it's also conditioned derivative? And then how did it get to be $550 when you, when you look up and you start, comparing it to what's recommended by manufacturer three quarters of the list is check 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 so it's about an hours of it's about an hour of shop time and some coolant and you know at best it's a three three hundred and fifty dollars service where do we come up with five hundred and fifty dollars worth of service from and i said to kathy here's what this has to look like and here's how you deal with the dealership and here's how you deal with the repair shop hold their feet to the fire 
Get out the owner's manual. What does the owner's manual call for? The owner's manual is where it starts. I'm not saying that's where it ends, but that's where it starts. That's where you get the base point of information. The manufacturer says you need to do the following things to the car at this mileage. And then you'll find out, okay, in addition to that, because you live in Southern California or you live in the heat of Florida or you live in the cold of Minnesota or you live in the dampness of New England, these particular services are recommended for the life of the car. And then maybe we'll get up to a $500 repair because of the additions that are added to it, but not on a blind spot. So part of dealing with a dealer or dealing with an independent repair shop. You know what that show would look like? Neither one of you have to have preconceived notions. Everybody's got to walk in there with an open mind, but everybody's got to understand what we're here for. We're here to maintain the car and not buy the guy behind the counter lawn furniture based on commission of what he sells. And that does happen. By the same token, not every dealership is like that. I had lunch this week with a gentleman who I think probably runs one of the better Toyota dealerships in the country, and he knows who he is. And we talked about this, and he explained to me why that doesn't work at his dealership and why they don't do that at his dealership and why his customer is his priority concern because he knows making somebody happy, everybody happy, gets them to come back and not only service the car but gets them to buy another car, and there's no question about it. He had an interesting comment, too. I love talking to Tay. He, uh, he made a comment to me. He says, you got to wonder when you have a dealership, when you walk in the door, the floors are mar- marble, the, 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 the ceiling is tiled, and like you're standing in an Italian restaurant. And he said, um, he said you wonder what all that costs, and you wonder what the customer thinks, if they're paying for it or not. And I just kind of looked at him, and I went, and he said, yeah, he goes, you know, it's it's one thing to make an impression. It's a one. It's another thing to make it look like you're standing in the middle of the Taj Mahal. And uh, what is that What is that repair going to really cost and who is it paying? So just some interesting points. So maybe we'll do a show one day on, you know, how to deal with a dealer and what does that look like and how to catch them and hold their feet to the fire. And we'll say it as how to deal with a repair shop in general because even independent repair shops, there's good and bad. And uh, I think it's something that you need to be aware of and we need to address But you, if you're going to do this as the listener, as the vehicle owner, you can't have preconceived notions. You've got to know that, you know what, there are things there that you'll never understand. You'll you'll never realize what it is. And if I had the ability, and I talk about this from time to time, and I don't think there's any legal way I can do it, I would love to take like three people, uh, you know, for a week, put them through car doctor boot camp. Let them stand around in the shop and watch what goes on and and watch how something goes wrong and the best intention fails because of a part, because of an outside influence, because of the vehicle, usually because of the vehicle, and the mechanic gets the blame for it, and that creates a whole cycle of problems as well. So no preconceived notions, I think, is where I would leave this opening conversation here on The Car Doctor when you're dealing with a repair facility, but try and understand what you're dealing with. And above all else, make sure you trust the repair shop. Because if you ever call me and say, the mechanic said I needed to do this, and I'm going to ask you, do you trust the shop? If you, well, you know what? You're in the wrong shop. There's no excuse for it. If you can't find a mechanic you trust, 
Turn in your driver's license and start walking. Hello and welcome. I'm Ron Andy and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Let me point that. I'm a mechanic you can trust because I've got no axe to grind. I just want to help you fix the car. That's what this radio show is all about. The website's cardoctorshow.com. You can also find all sorts of information there. And before I take this call, I've got Tommy on line one. Before I take that call, let me pull over and take the pause, and we'll come back and take them fresh right at the uh, going into the bottom of the hour. So I'm Ron Andy and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Stay tuned, Tom. Welcome back. We're on an Indian the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your call and answer your question. That is a 24-7 number, by the way. If this show's not on the air, call 855-560-9900, and we'll call you back and get you in the queue and talk to you about your car problem. Let's open the garage doors and get over there and talk to Tommy Jacksonville, Florida, and some problems with a 2002 Chevy Cavalier. Tommy, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Yes, sir. I was uh, Ron. Yes, sir. I, um, yes. My 2002 um, Cavalier was running hot. I um, changed out the hoses, thermostat, you know, flushed out radiators and stuff. I still, um, the, the gauge for the um, thermostat gauge still fluctuates running hot. Okay. Is it, now let me ask you, Tom, is it, is it in the red? Is it steaming? Do you see physical signs from under the hood or is it just by gauge? Um, it is um, now starting to steam from the engine. Okay. There's um, smoke, a little smoke now starting to blow. Okay. So let's. we're going to make an assumption. We both know on family radio why that's a dangerous word, but we're going to assume the engine's overheating. I would sure love to verify that by looking at a scan tool and seeing what data stream says and seeing where temp is, but we'll, we'll make the assumption, all right? So okay. w- one of the things that's a little dangerous here is that I'm going to talk to you about working on an engine that's overheating and if a hose pops could leave you with pretty serious burns. So you got to be careful and considerate of what you're doing here. All right. Um, One of the first things I look at on a Cavalier, when I come to the diagnostic conclusion that this engine's overheating, all right, and I've gone through the, the obvious stuff, all right, and I'm sure everybody's talked to you about are the cooling fans coming on, You've done a thermostat. You've considered the radiator. Uh, you know, one of the other things you've got to look at on a lot of these cars of this generation, not just Cavaliers, but all vehicles now, because the frontal port area is so small, everything is critical. Is it missing any air dams? Is it missing any air restrictors? Is it missing anything that would channel air into the proper area of the radiator itself? Once you're sure of all that, all right, and again, I just want to cover the basics. I'll tell you what I think is is wrong with this vehicle, all right, in that if this vehicle's warm, pop the hood. Is the lower hose cold? Do you know if it is or isn't? Yeah, no, um, I didn't, I don't recall. Okay, here's the um, deal. Here's why. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, go ahead. And I, and I was going to say, you know, and this is, 
this is, you know, this is the, the somewhere in the mix of this diagnostic routine. This is you, you've checked the radiator, you've you know you've done a thermostat, you've verified coolant, the fans come on at the proper time frame. It's not a head gasket, it's not a combustion issue with overheating or superheating the coolant. This is the one thing on a Cavalier that everybody misses. You ready? It yes. May, it may have a bad heater core, and I'll explain that. All right. Chevy Cavaliers of this okay. of, of this generation take hot water from the heater core as it cycles through, and that's what activates the thermostat and opens up the thermostat and allows circulation to happen. When the heater cores get restricted, no hot water comes out, the thermostat never opens, and it backs up the coolant in the radiator, causing the car to overheat. So the question I've got oh, is... Okay. Right. I, the question I've got is... Is the lower radiator hose cold, or is it cool? If it's cool, thermostat's not opening up. And then the, the second part of this becomes when the car is cold, what you can do is, you know, you let the car sit overnight. The next day, disconnect the two heater hoses and put a put a splice in there. Just put a, a, a joint to connect the two hoses together and then start the car. And that will allow hot water to circulate, bypassing the heater core. And if now the vehicle does not overheat, you've got a restricted heater core, and you can either try back flushing it or replacing it as the second step. But the problem will be in the heater core itself causing the problem. Okay. Okay, because, yeah, it does, like, it hesitates to... For the uh, thermostat, they open and for the fan, they jump on, the like, they jump on the late. Right. Let me ask you, and you, yeah, know, you, you know, you're part of the country. It doesn't get too 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 cold down there. Do you remember the last time you used the heat? Did it work at all? Uh, yes, it did. This past winter, okay. <laughs> which I used it for a few few weeks. Uh, right, you know? <laughs> right. But that was yeah, that was the winter. That was seven months ago, right? Yes, yes. So, so you know, I would I would get this car to warm up up to a point where you think it's a normal cycle. Real quick, being mindful, shut it off, open the hood. If the lower radiator hose is cold and the upper hose is hot, that thermostat's not open, and I would be very concerned and, and thinking about that that heater core is restricted, causing a, a, a an overheat condition just like I described. All right, sir? Yeah. Okay. So we'll take, All right. Let's Sounds take it good. from there. Let's, I'm going to check that. And remember what I said about, you know, air restrictors and air channeling. And listen, it could also be a, a radiator that's just tired too, Tom, but let's verify coolant flow and that the system has circulation before we go any further. All right, kiddo? Okay. So if you need me, send okay. me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. I'll do my best to get back to you. All right, very good, sir. Good luck to you, Tom. Let me know what happens. But, um, yeah, that's that's the way that 2000, 2001, 2002, Grand Ams, Cavaliers, Sunfires, all vehicles, all GM vehicles, that generation, they circulate hot water to the heater because we want to give customers heat real quick. And if that heater core is restricted, it's one of the downfalls that it won't open the thermostat. And now the heat will back up and overheat and superheat in the radiator and um, become a problem. The engine actually does overheat. So let's uh, get over to line two. Let's go. Hey, look who it is. Shirley Vaney, our favorite granny in a Corvette. How are you today, Shirley? I'm good, Ron. How are you? Oh, good. I'm glad we got you back. I know we were talking about this before the show today. Harry surprised me and brought you on. Um, For those of you just tuning in, Shirley was running in the Sun Valley Road Rally 
out there. Was that in uh, Idaho, Shirley? I, I don't remember yeah. exactly. Yeah, and uh, Shirley's from Boise, Idaho. And uh, this is this is the second year you're doing this, Shirley? Yes, it was. And um, your goal was to reach a certain mile an hour in a Corvette. What, what did you want to hit speed-wise? Well, I wanted to do 170. Okay. And uh, actually my speed was 171.4 when I crossed the finish line, but uh, we had a headwind. So I think I could have maybe gone to 175. That would have been great. But that headwind held, held us back. Last year, it was a nice, smooth run uh, of 166.3. And um, this year, when we we start out and we had up a small hill. And when we got to the top of the hill, a blast of wind hit us sideways. And it uh, knocked the top of my passenger window out and changed the whole air inside of the car. Sure. Plus, that's when we hit the headwind. So I had my foot on the floor, and, and we just kept going. And uh, I had my foot on the floor until uh, there was with, no more. Um, yeah. As the saying yeah. goes. Yeah. Um, but, sure. it, but it could have been better. Shirley, how old are you? I can ask you that, can I? Yeah, I'm 82. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I love you. You're great. Uh, you're, you're, you've got that spirit in you that's made this country what it is and uh, the good stuff, the good part, that uh, you know, that can-do attitude. Um, I, I would have loved to have been there and seen this. Is this out on YouTube at all by chance? It will be under my name. And on YouTube, there will be um, a video. I had a camera in the car. And also, it'll be going to Go Granny Go Corvette Facebook. And um, I think that's probably about it. And, oh, I have a photo I'd like to send you. It's of my car coming to the finish line, showing the black and white flags flying straight at me. Instead of going with me, <laughs> that's a so, deal. You you send me um, email them to me, Ron at CarDoctorShow dot com, and okay. uh, and we'll pick we will. Up, and we'll pick them up there. Um, okay, but that's great. I I was also going to ask when you know when you're you're barreling along at one hundred and sixty five plus one hundred seventy miles an hour, what's going through your mind? Is it you're just on the edge and hanging on, or do you feel like you're in control? Well, on this trip. It was a rough, kind of a rough ride with the wind. Right. And um, so it was pretty much just, you know, hanging on to the wheel and keeping my foot down. And um, I think when we get the video up, you'll probably, and and you can see it, and you'll probably see that it wasn't the smooth ride of last year. Yeah, but it was, uh, well, good for you. Shirley, we're going to touch base again. We want to hear about next year's run. Next year, we'll shoot for 180, and uh, we hope that you can do that as well. Thanks, Shirley. I'm Ron Annie in the car, Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Naney and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Always good to talk to Shirley Vaney. Now, for those of you that kind of came in partway in that conversation, understand Shirley's 82 years old. She's a grandma. 
Um, we've never met. We just know that we love her because of her attitude and uh, the, the, what she does behind the wheel of an automobile. Her goal this year was to go out in that in that rally out there in Idaho and hit over 170 miles an hour, and she went 171.2. I don't care if she had a headwind, a tailwind, a sidewind. She still went 171 and change in a Corvette, and she's 82 years old, and that takes a lot to hang on to. Listen, um, I know a story about a youngster compared to Shirley who was out last night cruising around in a black 55 Chevy who was having a hard time hanging on to the wheel trying to get it up to 90 and keep it straight. And um, not anybody that I know personally, but um, somebody that, well, you could just imagine who that was. I'm not telling tales. Let's uh, let's get over to the phones, and um, let's go talk to Frank out in Hawaii. Always a pleasure to talk to anybody in Hawaii. Frank, how are you today, sir? I'm Welcome in Florida to- today. I'm on vacation. Oh. I'm looking at a 240. It's either a DL or an OL. Okay. 1985 Volvo. All right. Four-cylinder, five-speed. I want to I want to build it up from the ground up with my master mechanic, Ken. I won't give you his last name. How many how many, car, how, many how, cars? You've done a few cars, from what I understand, Frank. How many cars I've have you done? I've owned 57 cars, title-tagged and licensed in five states. Wow. Um, and the last car I owned was a 2005 Crossfire. But my GTP I brought from Florida to Hawaii and drag raced and came in second place. What uh, what year did you start building cars? I was 14 years old in my 1937 lot car. In other words, when the police come, you just drive off the road onto a farm. <laughs> and then my parents taught me to drive in a 54 Lincoln Capri with five forward gears. Frank, can I ask you a question? Sure. How, how old are you? 72 years old. I got a high voice. So, so, oh, yeah, no, but not I'm that. But I'm 16 at heart. But, yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. So, so, what year did you start? 1937 you started working on cars? No, no, the car was 1937. I was 14 years old. My uncle bought me the lot car. But my first car was a 57 Chevy 6 that my dad bought me, but no radio. He said that distracts you. He yeah. owned four cars in his life. Yeah, it's, it's I owned a, it's, 57, probably about 20 before he died. It's it's a good thing your father isn't here to see this day and age with cell phones and all the distractions people have today, oh, right? Oh man, yeah, yeah, it's pretty serious in Hawaii with cell phones. It's now a three hundred dollar fine. Wow! If they catch you, but they call the server to make sure that you are on the phone when they give you the ticket. See, and I don't understand why if we wanted to just eliminate all this nonsense, just make it so the cell phone doesn't work if it detects movement. I don't get why. Oh, I love your idea. I don't get why that's not that's not being it's done. The texting that the kids do that's caused more accidents in this country than you can imagine. Right. Let's just disable the function. The cell phone doesn't work if you're going over a mile an hour. It's as simple I as that. I love it. I, you know, You've but, got the solution. Let's call uh, the president up and tell him. Well, I can tell you why. I can tell you why they'll never do it. Because <laughs> in in this in this humble mechanic's opinion, they won't do it because all the cell phone carriers. We'll lose business because they won't be consuming data the way they're consuming it now, and they'll be what losing money. What is your money. opinion about the Volvo? The Volvo car, I owned a B1800, and it, uh, the p 1800 the other model. We can, my mechanic has one of those that he services. The four-cylinder was the greatest car I ever had. Uh, it rolled three times, and I walked away. Let me, let, me, uh, let, me tell you, let me tell you my Volvo perspective, Frank, and for you and everyone okay. else out there. I like the older Volvos. All right. When it when it came time to put my firstborn in a car, I had the opportunity to purchase for three hundred dollars a nineteen eighty nine seven forty Volvo that at the time at the time had one hundred and sixty thousand miles on it. I had serviced the car from the moment it hit thirty five thousand. That's when it came into my life, and I worked on it for a good 
so you know so, it was serviced properly. Right. I know what was done and how it was done. At 160,000 miles, I believe, I'm trying to remember what went wrong with it, but not. it wasn't the engine computer. There was another emission controller spark computer that went south, and it was a $1,200 piece. The customer didn't want to deal with it anymore, and they sold me the car for the diagnostics I had in it. I then wow. went. I then went through the car, and from front to back, left to right, and replaced every single piece, part, rubber component, maintenance item, anything yeah. that was leaking, dripping. Went through the car, perfect. When my daughter turned seventeen, five months later, I handed her an absolutely perfect '89 Volvo with 160,000 miles on it, which the was principle safe. Principle of it. One of the safest cars on the road. Let me tell you how safe that car is. I got a phone call one day. Her and her sister were in the car on the way to school, and my wife called me and she said, "You know who just just slid off the road on her way to school uh -oh. in the ice storm?" And I went, "Uh oh!" I turned the plow truck around, and I was there in about two and a half minutes, or what seemed like two and a half minutes, which was really twenty. And as I was there, the tow truck and the police were just pulling it out of the ditch. The kids were standing over by the police car. They were okay, just shook, just shook up, obviously. Shook up, yeah. Um, I walked around the car. I kicked the snow out of the wheel wells. The police know who I am and what I do. Uh, I gave the car the quick once-over, took the key out of the ignition, went over to my daughter, talked to her for five minutes. I said, are you okay to drive? We had the whole conversation. She said, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, handed her, I handed her back her keys, and I said, go to school. And the cop just looked at me. I said, it's a Volvo. There's nothing wow. wrong with it. Um, All right, this is an 85 a 240DL, five-speed, four-door. Right. And I can pick it up, and Ken will go through it from the ground up, tires and everything. It's got about 100,000 on it. Yeah, buy it. it it's over. Yeah, no, no, it. I called Texas, and they said, that's a solid car. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And 100,000 is nothing. Do you know that the average Volvo four-cylinder back in the day was rated to go a half a million miles? Yeah. yeah, but you got to realize the the other Volvo I owned was a wagon. To change the inside belt, we had to take the air conditioner off. Right. Well, they didn't have the belt that you could you know screw together now like they have now. You know, Volvo's somewhere around. And everybody says, "Why don't I like Volvos any longer?" And I'm going to tell you, somewhere around ninety five, ninety six, Volvo became this. They kind of went from being the skinny Elvis to the heavy Elvis. All right. They yep. sort of uh, they were out of shape. They were they were you know bloated. They were they just weren't nice cars and easy to work on. And Volvo was kind of in a diagnostic direction where the scan tool capability and what scan tool to use changed on a monthly basis. It seemed. Oh, Jesus! And and, and just very difficult to deal with. And it's funny, yeah. you know, up until a couple of years ago, Volvo had this attitude. In my opinion, we're Volvo. We don't need to conform to anybody. And you know uh -huh. what? But uh, I'm going to call Ken up, and I'll let, you know, off the air, I'll tell you his last name. Okay. But he's a master mechanic, and he's as good as you are, but he's a little bit older, so he's been a little bit more experienced. Yeah, I would say buy it, because you're, you know, 85, you know, you're okay. If this, was, if this was in the 90s, I'd be a little leery, but 85, you're buying right. a very mechanical car. 83. And, 80, you know, yeah, 85. Uh, I've got the serial number. But anyway, I want to thank you so much for telling the people about safety. Right. Some of these new cars that are out get hit by a tractor trailer and... I'll tell you what, hey, tell you what, Frank, yeah. I'd, like to, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Can, can you hang on to the phone for just a second? Yeah, can I sure. Stay, stay right where you are. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this.
Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. That's the 24-7 Car Doctor phone number to give us a call and talk to us about your car problem. If we're not on the air, leave a message, 855-560-9900, and we'll call you back and get you in queue for the following week. Um, email ron at cardoctorshow.com. More information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. We're talking with Frank, who's in Florida today, but resides in Hawaii. Frank has... 57 cars, and he's working on purchasing number 58. Frank, you're still there, sir. Yeah, I'm still here. Uh, Ron, the second most expensive thing a person buys is a vehicle beside a house. Yep, yep. And it is important to have a good doctor for your health and the best doctor for your car. And that's why your show is so important. You're teaching people that some of these shade mechanics aren't what they're built up to be. Do you think, Frank, you know, you've got a couple of years on me, not many, but a few, and where do you see self-driving cars taking the country, for better or worse? I don't, I mean, I was at the 64 World's Fair as my first job, and they had the self-driving cars, they also had the four-wheel drive. I've driven the Pontiac uh, four-wheel drive, four-wheel steer car at the 88 National Convention. I don't think it's going to happen, because Walt Disney had it in his Epcot world in, in 64. And I don't think it's going to happen because people like the freedom of driving, even though it's dangerous. Yeah. So people want to be be behind the wheel and in control, just not on the cell phone. Don't you? And I love your idea. I really think every manufacturer right now should have it. When you step in the car, the cell phone doesn't work. Well, you know, the cell phone, I, you know, when you talk about something that's had such a dramatic effect on, on society, in my mind, one of those big things is the cell phone. You know, I, I see people all the time. I see four people in the car, and one of them is driving, and they're all on the cell phone. There's, there's no interaction anymore. There's no conversation uh, anymore. Kids don't know I've how to be I've always had hands-free yeah. cell phones, even in the 91 Chrysler LeBaron. I had hands-free with the little speaker above the, uh, above the visor. I've never gotten a ticket for a cell phone. I've never had a DUI. I've never had a uh, ticket in the Hawaii for 15 years. Right. And the right. main thing is I'm careful because I'm rescue squad and the fire company. Yeah. And it's yet, vital it, that when you get in that car, you're in danger to other people besides yourself. Right. And you've got to be aware of that. But I, I just never heard that before. Cell phones don't work in cars. I love it. Yeah. Just don't make it. so. Well, it's not that it doesn't work in cars. It doesn't work if you're moving. And there's, yeah, if there's, you're moving, that, there, that's, that's there's excellent. Just, just, you know, or you know what? How about if it's moving? Here's an even better idea. If it's moving, we're going to charge you double the data usage. <laughs> Hit them in their pocketbook. Hit them in their pocketbook. You'll see people think this is the worst idea going. All of a sudden, everybody will be throwing their cell phones out. Uh, no, you know. I don't think to throw them out. I think communication is very important, and especially if there's an accident. I had one of the first the first cars that had the uh, what, what's that called? Not GPS. The uh, Ansar. Right. I brought it to Hawaii, and it was the third car in Maui with GPS. And I, the fire department used it because it was five watts. They called in a fire with my mine when their radios didn't work. Their dot six Isn't that didn't neat? work. Yeah, you've seen a lot of technology, Frank, haven't you? You've seen a lot of changes. Well, I was in, in communication. I had one of the first uh, units with uh, IBM uh, uh, suitcase for thirty-two pounds at the convention center in New York. Wow. With a, a Motorola five watt. See, 5 watts is what hurts your brain. Uh, dot 6 is what a cell phone is. When you hold it up to your ear, you're, you're not getting as much radiation. Right. 
Right. Well, listen, you, cars you, that have voice free. If you're not looking at the screen with the number you're calling, at least you can talk and drive. But that's still a distraction. Yep. As I yeah. said, my dad would not let me have a radio in my first car. Well, and, you know, cars then and like that 85 or like the Volvo that you're going to purchase, uh, you know, it's they're very mechanical. The electronics on yep. the cars today make you very make you very um, you're required to depend on the car. And I think it takes right. away that, some critical thinking skills. That's why your mechanic skills. is, is yeah. as good as your your family doctor. Yep, 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 yep. So tell your people, you know, to look for a great mechanic, not a shade tree mechanic. Yeah, well, I've been saying that. Uh, listen, come January this year, come in January 2016, I'll have been saying that for 25 years. How so. many people come into your place with a basket full of parts? that their shade tree mechanic couldn't put back together. Oh, you know, they come in, but they only get to come in once, um, <laughs> you know, because that's another conversation. You know, around the shop, we tell everybody we're not here to be firemen and put out the fire. We're here to develop a relationship with you, and if, if you yeah. think we're firemen, and, then we're not your I guy. Said, in Florida, there's a few ace mechanics, and there's a few master mechanics. And in every state I've ever been to, um, not at the dealerships. The dealerships have pretty good people. Yeah. But you're not paying the, the mechanic. You're paying the dealer the $95 or $125. Right, right. yep. Frank, the it was a mechanic is making 60 bucks if he's lucky. If he's lucky, yeah, and he's not making that anymore, too. Trust me, that's a whole other conversation. Frank, I enjoyed oh, I enjoyed my time with well, you today. Well, thanks a lot, Ron. And off the air, I'd like to give Harry the, the phone number. Yeah, let him. Yeah, stay, stay right where you are, and Harry will grab it from you. And uh, I look forward. We'll talk again. Let us know how the Volvo shapes up. Maybe you can send us some pictures. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the the car doctor kind of winding things down this hour. The phone number for, well, the rest of this hour if you want to try and sneak in. But if not, if you give us a call at 855-560-9900. We're off the air. Uh, Keep in mind that's a 24-7 number. There's an answering service attached to that. You can call 855-560-9900 and um, leave a message. Fast Harry, we'll call you back. And get you in queue. We can talk to you about your car problem the next time we're live on the air, which is Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Real quick story. I wanted to finish out the hour. You know, the insanity of auto repair. And I'm going to try and bring more of what goes on behind the scenes in the repair shop to the forefront uh, here on air because I keep hearing from all of you, and uh, that that's really what you want to hear. So I'm a licensed New Jersey motor vehicle inspector, and um, I've done all my certifications, and I've gone through all my tests, and I've I've done what I had to do in order to have the license. I fill out all my paperwork, due diligence. I do everything in a timely manner. I really, you know, live the task, as you can imagine. I try to do it right as much as I possibly humanly can within my reach and as the knowledge that I've got. And, you know, this is the way we've got to do it. Let's do it. So I renewed my PIF for my private inspection facility license back in May. So it was done in a timely manner. It expired in August. So I renewed my license. It's hanging on the wall of the shop. The check cleared. The license is right. Everything is good to go. Imagine my surprise this past week when on Tuesday I received a notice from the state that says, it's come to my attention that you have not renewed your PIF license. You may be locked out of your inspection equipment and unable to perform inspections until you renew your inspection facility license. Please call your regional office 
if you have questions or require assistance and they give you a list of phone numbers. Gee, how could that be? You know, Winston Churchill was pretty smart. I've been thinking about him a lot lately since I watched that documentary on Netflix about stay calm and carry on. And you've got to understand, as you can imagine, this gets my blood boiling. I'm doing my job. Wait a minute. What do you mean my license isn't renewed? I'm looking at it on the wall. It says it expires next year in 2016. I call up the regional office. I speak to Bob, who I always speak to. And um, I said, Bob, this is Ron. I'm a Piff and Waldick. Da, 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 da. He says, let me guess. You got the notice that your license expired. Yeah, how'd you know? He goes, oh, the state just sent that out to everybody. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean your license expired. They were just trying to get your attention. Well, they succeeded. Um, what does this mean? He goes, nothing. He goes, you got your license? Yeah. Then carry on. Do your inspections. So I couldn't help but think government bureaucracy at its best and official communication generates nothing but aggravation. Sometimes you're better off not hearing from anybody. Till the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.